Chapter Four of the House of the Wolfings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The House of the Wolfings by William Morris. Chapter Four: The House Fareth to the War. Now, when Theodolf came back to the habitations of the kindred, the whole house was astir both thrallmen and women, and free women hurrying from cot to stithy, and from stithy to hall, bearing the last of the war-gear or raiment for the fighting men. But they, for their part, were some standing about anigh the man's door, some sitting gravely within the hall, some watching the hurry of the thralls and women from the midmost of the open space amidst of the habitations, whereon there stood yet certain wains which were related. For the most of the wains were now standing with the oxen already yoked to them down in the meadow past the acres, encircled by a confused throng of kina and horses and thrall folk, for thither had all the beasts for the slaughter, and the horses for the warriors, been brought. And there were the horses tethered, or held by the thralls. Some indeed were already saddled and bridled, and on others were the thralls doing the harness. But as for the wains of the marksmen, they were stoutly framed of ash-tree with panels of aspen, and they were broad-wheeled, so that they might go over rough and smooth. They had high tilts over them, well framed of willow poles, covered over with squares of black felt, overlapping like shingles, which felt they made of the rough of their fleeces, for they had many sheep. And these wains were to them for houses upon the way if need were, and therein as now were stored their meal and their war store, and after fight they would flit their wounded men in them, such as were too sorely hurt to back a horse. Nor must it be hidden that whilst they looked to bring back with them the treasure of the south. Moreover the folk, if they were worsted in any battle, instead of fleeing without more done, would often draw back fighting into a garth made by these wains, and guarded by some of their thralls, and there would abide the onset of those who had thrust them back in the field. And this garth they called the Wainberg. So now stood three of these wains aforesaid belatedly amidst of the habitations of the house, their yoke beasts standing, or lying down unharnessed as yet to them but in the very midst of that place was a wain unlike to them. Smaller than they, but higher, square of a shape as to the floor of it, built lighter than they, yet far stronger, as the warrior is stronger than the big carla and trencher-lickers that loiters about the hall. And from the midst of this wain arose a mast made of a tall, straight fir-tree, and thereon hung the banner of the wolfings, wherein was wrought the image of the wolf, but red of hue, as a token of war, and with his mouth open and gaping upon the foeman. Also, whereas the other wains were drawn by mere oxen, and those of diverse colors, as chance would have it, the wain of the banner was drawn by ten black bulls of the mightiest of the herd, deep dewlapped, high-crested, and curly-browed, and their harness was decked with gold, and so was the wain itself, and the woodwork of it painted red with vermilion. There, then, stood the banner of the House of the Wolfings, awaiting the departure of the warriors to the hosting. So Theodolf stood on the top of the bet, beside that same mound wherefrom he had blown the war-horn yesterday eve, and which was called the Hill of Speech. And he shaded his eyes with his hand, and looked around him. And even therewith the Carlos fell to yoking the beast to the belated wains, and the warriors gathered together from out the mixed throngs, and came from the roof and the man's door, and all set their faces towards the Hill of Speech. So Theodolf knew that all was ready for departure, and it wanted but an hour of high noon, so he turned about and went into the hall, and there found his shield, 
and his spear hanging in his sleeping place beside the hauberk he was wont to wear. Then he looked, as once driving with thought, at his empty hauberk and his own body covered with the dwarf-wrought rings, nor did his face change as he took his shield and his spear and turned away. Then he went to the dais, and there sat his foster daughter, as men deemed her, sitting amidst of it as yester eve, and now arrayed in a garment of fine white wool. On the breast thereof were wrought in gold two beasts ramping up against a fire altar, whereon a flame flickered. And on the skirts and the hems were other devices, of wolves chasing deer, and men shooting with the bow, and that garment was an ancient treasure. But she had a broad girdle of gold and gems about her middle, and on her arms and neck she wore great gold rings wrought delicately. By then there were few save the hall son under the roof, and they but the oldest of the women, or a few very old men, and some who were ailing and might not go abroad. But before her on the thwart table lay the great war-horn awaiting the coming of Theodolf to give signal of departure. Then went Theodolf to the hall son, and kissed and embraced her fondly, and she gave the horn into his hands, and he went forth and up onto the hill of speech, and blew thence a short blast on the horn, and then came all the warriors flocking to the hill of speech, each man stark in his harness, alert and joyous. Then presently through the man's door came the hall son in that ancient garment, which fell straight and stiff down to her ankles as she stepped lightly and slowly along, her head crowned with a garland of elgantine. In her right hand also she held a great torch of wax lighted, whose flame amidst the bright sunlight looked like a wavering leaf of vermilion. The warriors saw her, and made a lane for her, and she made her way through it up to the hill of speech, and she went up to the top of it, and stood there holding the lighted candle in her hand, so that all might see it. Then suddenly there was as great a silence as there may be on a forenoon of summer, for even the thralls down in the meadow had noted what was toward, and ceased their talking and shouting. For as far off as they were, since they could see that the hall sun stood on the hill of speech, for the wood was dark behind her, so they knew the farewell flame was lighted, and that the maiden would speak. And to all men her speech was a boding of good, or of ill. So she began in a sweet voice, yet clear and far-reaching. O oh, warriors of the wolfings, by the token of the flame, that here in my right hand flickers, come aback to the house of the name. For there yet burneth the hall sun beneath the wolfing roof, and this flame is litten from it, nor is now shall it fare aloof. Till again it seeth the mighty, and the men to be gleaned from the fight. So wend ye weird willeth, and let your hearts be light. For through your days of battle, all the deeds of our days shall be fair. Tomorrow beginneth the hasel, as if every carlo were here. And who knoweth ere you returning, but the hook shall smite the corn. But the kinda shall go down to the meadow, as their want is every morn. And each eve shall come back to the byre, and the mares and foals of field shall ever be heeded duly, and all things shall their increase yield. And if it shall befall us, that thither cometh a foe, here have we swains of the shepherds, good players with the bow, and old men battle-crafty, whose might is nowise spent, and women fell and fearless well want to tread the bent, amid the sheep and oxen, and their hands are hard with the spear, and their arms are strong and stalwart, the battle-shield to bear. And store of weapons have we, and the mighty walls of the stead, and the roof shall abide you steadfast, with the hall-sun overhead. Lo, here I quench this candle that is lit from the hall-sun's flame, which unto the wildwood clearing with the kin of the wolfings came, and shall wend with their departures to the limits of the earth, 
nor again shall the torch be lighted till in sorrow or in mirth overthrown or overthrowing ye come aback once more and bid me bear the candle before the wolf of war as she spake the word she turned the candle downward and thrust it against the grass and quenched it indeed but the whole throng of warriors turned about for the bulls of the bannerwain lowered their heads in the yokes and began to draw lowing mightily and the wain creaked and moved on and all the men-at-arms followed after and down they went through the lanes of the corn and many women and children and old men went down into the mead with them in their hearts they all wondered what the hall son's words might signify for she had told them not about the battles to be saving that some should come back to the midmark whereas aforetime somewhat she would foretell to them concerning the fortune of the fight and now had she said to them nothing but what their own hearts told them nevertheless they bore their crests high as they followed the wolf down into the meadow where all was now ready for departure there they arrayed themselves and went down to the lip of the murkwood water and such was their array that the banner went first save that a band of fully armed men went before it and behind it and about were the others as well arrayed as they then went the wains that bore their munition with arms carla of the thrall folk about them who were ever the guard of the wains and should never leave them night or day and lastly went the great band of the warriors and the rest of the thralls with them as to their war gear all the freemen had helms of some kind but not all of iron or steel for some bore helms fashioned of horsehide and bullhide covered over with the similitude of the wolf's muzzle nor were these ill defense against a sword stroke shields they all had and all these had the image of the wolf marked on them but for many their thralls bore them on the journey as to their body armor some carried long burnies of ring mail some coats of leather covered with splinters of horn laid like the shingles of a roof and some skin coats only whereof indeed there were some of which tales went that they were better than the smith's hammerwork because they had had spells sung over them to keep out steel or iron but for their weapons they bore spears with shafts not very long some eight feet of our measure and axes heavy and long shafted and bills with great and broad heads and some few but not many of the kindred were bowmen and every freeman was girt with a sword but of the sword some were long and two-edged others short and heavy cutting on one edge and these were of the kind which they and our forefathers long after called sacks thus were the freemen arrayed but for the thralls there were many bows among them especially among those who were the blood alien from the goths the others bore short spears and feathered broad arrows and clubs bound with iron and knives and axes but not every man of them had a sword few iron helms they had and no ringed burnies but most had a buckler at their backs with no sign or symbol on it thus then set forth the fighting men of the house of the wolf towards the thingstead of the upper mark where the hosting was to be and by then they were moving up along the side of the murkwood water it was somewhat past high noon but the stay-at-home people who had come down with them to the meadow lingered long in that place and much foreboding there was among them of evil to come and of the old folk some remembered tales of the past days of the markmen and how they had come from the ends of the earth and the mountains where none dwell now but the gods of their kindreds and many of these tales told of their woes and their wars as they went from river to river and from wildwood to wildwood before they established their houses in the mark and followed to dwelling there season by season and year by year whether the days were good or ill and it fell into their hearts that now at last may happen was their abiding wearing to come to an end 
and that the day should soon be when they should have to bear the hall sun through the wildwood and seek a new dwelling place, afar from the troubling of these newly arisen Welsh foemen. And so those of them who could not rid themselves of this foreboding were somewhat heavier of heart than their wont was when the house went to war. For long had they abided there in the mark, and the life was sweet to them which they knew, and the life which they knew not was bitter to them, and murkward water was become as God to them no less than to the fathers of old time. Nor lesser was the mead where fed the horses that they loved, and the kind that they had reared, and the sheep that they guarded from the wolf of the wildwood. And they worshipped the kind acres which they themselves and their fathers had made fruitful, wedding them to the seasons of seed time and harvest, that the birth that came from them might become a part of the kindred of the wolf, and the joy and might of past springs and summers might run in the blood of the wolfing children. And a dear God indeed to them was the roof of the kindred, that their fathers had built, and that they yet warded against the fire and the lightning and the wind and the snow, and the passing of the days that devour, and the years that heap the dust over the work of men. They thought of how it had stood, and seen so many generations of men come and go, how often it had welcomed the newborn babe, and given farewell to the old man, how many secrets of the past it knew, how many tales which men of the present had forgotten, but which yet mayhap men of times to come should learn of it. For to them yet living it had spoken time and again, and had told them what their fathers had not told them, and had held the memories of the generations and the very life of the wolfings, and their hopes for the days to be. Thus these poor people thought of the gods whom they worshipped, and the friends whom they loved, and could not choose but be heavy-hearted when they thought that the wildwood was awaiting them to swallow all up, and take away from them their gods, and their friends, and the mirth of their life, and burden them with hunger and thirst and weariness, that their children might begin once more to build the house and establish the dwelling, and call new places by old names, and worship new gods with the ancient worship. Such imaginations of trouble, then, were in the hearts of the stay-at-homes of the wolfings. The tale tells not indeed that all had such forebodings, but chiefly the old folk, who were nursing the end of their life days amidst the cherished kindred of the house. But now they were beginning to turn them back again to the habitations, and a thin stream was flowing through the acres, when they heard a confused sound drawing near, blended of horns and the lowing of beasts, and the shouting of men, and they looked and saw a throng of brightly clad men coming upstream alongside of Mirkwood Water, and they were not afraid, for they knew that it must be some other company of the markmen journeying to the hosting of the folk, and presently they saw that it was the house of the Beamings following their banner on the way to the thing's dead. But when the newcomers saw the throng out of the meads, some of their young men pricked on their horses and galloped on past the women and the old men, to whom they threw a greeting, as they ran past to catch up with the bands of the wolfings. For between the two houses there was affinity, and much good liking lay between them. And the stay-at-homes, many of them, lingered yet till the main body of the beamings came with their banner, and their array was much like to that of the wolfings, but gayer. For whereas it pleased the latter to darken all their war gear to the color of the gray wolf, the beamings polished all their gear as bright as might be, and their raiment also was mostly bright green of hue, and much beflowered, and the sign on their banner was a green leafy tree, and the wain was drawn by great white bulls, so when their company drew near of the throng of the stay-at-homes, they went to meet and greet each other, and tell tidings to each other, but their banner held steadily onward amidst their converse, and in a little while they followed it, for the way was long to the thingstead of the upper mark. So passed away the fighting men by the side of the Mirkwood water, and the throng of the stay-at-homes melted slowly from the meadow, 
and trickled along through the acres to the habitations of the wolfings, and there they fell to doing whatso of work or play came to their hands. End of chapter 4 Recording by Todd